ya no pienso mantener este cariño Mientras me parto el alma, te das la vida de placeres Y yo en mis desvelos, sufriendo por amor KBOO Portland. Cable Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations of programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. The Program Advisory Committee meets quarterly on the first Tuesday of March, June, September, and December at 6 p.m. This month's meeting will be held online through a public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting can be found on our website at kboo.fm. Please visit our website to verify if a meeting is being held. KBOO Community Radio is listener-sponsored. That's right, 80% of our funding comes from donations from listeners just like you. You can always make a donation to help keep KBOO colorful, independent, and non-commercial at kboo.fm give. But right now, during our end-of-the-year campaign, is the perfect time to contribute. Give now and help us to reach our goal of $75,000 by December 31st be a ray of light in your community by making your tax-deductible donation at kboo.fm slash give today. Hello. Welcome to the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists segment of Labor Radio, celebrated here on KBU 90.7 FM, highlighting the works of the working class by the working class and for the working class, where the heart of the community comes alive seven days a week. My name is Tina Turner Morfitt. I am the current president of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists and the vice president of the Oregon ASME Retiree Chapter. I'm a retired public employee after working 38 years in the Department of Corrections. My union representation was through Oregon ASME. Hello, I'm Dr. Audrey Terrell. I'm retired from the International UAW in Detroit. I'm also the current vice president of the Oregon CBTU and president and CEO of the Dr. Audrey Terrell Institute. Hello, listeners, and, and welcome to our show. My name is Deborah Hall, and I'm the current secretary treasurer for the Oregon Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. I'm also a retired member of the Portland Community College Classified Union and past president. 
And currently I am serving in the city of Vancouver as a commissioner on the Civil Service Commission. Welcome to the show. Tonight, we are pleased to invite to our show, Brother Dan Torres, the executive director of the Oregon Labor Candidate School. Hello, Brother Torres, and welcome to Holler for Labor. We're excited to have you here tonight and to be able to highlight the mission, vision, and values of your program, the Oregon Labor Candidate School. Before we get started on the operational meat and potatoes segment of our interview, can you please share with our listeners a brief history of how your program came about? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here tonight. Really appreciate the opportunity to come and speak with you all and your listeners about the Oregon Labor Candidate School and the great work that we've done over the last 10 plus years. So Oregon Labor Candidate School was created about 11 years ago when a group of unions got together and realized that folks that we have often in elected office don't represent the folks that we see doing the work on the streets. And so we also recognize that there are institutional barriers to running for public office that make it prohibitively harder for working folks. And so Oregon Labor Candidate School came together with originally 12, we're now up to 13 uh, board member unions uh, who committed to investing in training and recruitment programs to help rank and file union members run for political office. Awesome. It's an awesome program. I went through it several years ago as well. So um, Dan, how long have you been a political activist? That's an interesting question. Thank you for that. How long have I been a political activist? I think that, you know, when we talk about politics, I always have a saying, which is, you know, I talk to a lot of people that, you know, are like apolitical. Politics doesn't really involve me. I'm not interested in it. And what I tell folks is politics is something that's going to happen. You get to decide whether it happens with you or to you. And so when it comes to political activism, my sort of passion and motivation into it, first of all, it became a career for me at an early age working in campaigns and politics. Um, But particularly in my activism, a lot of it Uh, for me came around labor issues and labor rights, seeing what was happening and what continues to happen to folks, uh, working families in the state, lack of representation. And so that really motivated me to not only get into this work, but then also look for a way to support new leaders and folks that we need, uh, whose voices we need in the process. Awesome, awesome, man. I see here that you have wicked political uh, credentials and have been involved in multiple local, state, county, congressional, and federal political campaigns, as you mentioned. And so what's your personal interest in managing this Oregon statewide program? Yeah, thanks so much for that question. You know, I took over as the executive director of the program in January, and I have huge shoes to fill of our previous executive directors, including Sarah Ryan, Len Norwitz, Kevin Sullivan. Lee Henfield, who really put this program in a position to be strong and successful. I started with the school about eight years ago as a trainer and slowly became one of the main trainers for the program. And my personal interest in taking on this program and working on it is not only my investment in the program over the last eight years, but also some of the benefits that I've seen firsthand with it. So I think about some of our alumni doing great things like Representative Travis Nelson, who passed a first in the nation nurse staffing bill. That probably would never have been a conversation if we didn't have great advocates that came through rank and file members doing that work. And so the more that I see our alumni doing great work, whether it's on the Civil Service Commission in City of Vancouver, in the state legislature, city council, you know, it, it is great to see the good that comes when we have folks with real experience and stories uh, leading. Awesome. Awesome. 
And so it's my understanding that the main focus of the school is to provide your participants with a template on how to run a successful focus and cogent campaign. How do you accomplish this and still maintain its apolitical standing during the process and the program? That's a great question, one we get asked a lot. And one of the things I will say about how we navigate this is, first of all, um, we do really stay apolitical. We don't uh, care what an individual's party is. I say this all the time. I don't care what your party is. I care about what you're going to do for the people. And that really is what helps drive it. The second thing that I will mention under this specifically and how we maintain our process is that we are guided by our values very heavily at the Oregon Labor Candidate School. So we have a set of values that we use to really guide our work, not only sharing those with our candidates, but also trying to live those in our practice. And the values that we hold at Oregon Labor Candidate school to our core are collective action, economic fairness, empowerment, equity, solidarity, respect, democracy, and justice. And so we're able to stay apolitical because A, we focus on our values and we focus on our goals at hand, which is training folks. And the other piece of that as well, too, is that we don't endorse candidates. We don't get engaged directly in campaigns. I've got a board of about 13 folks that all have 13 different opinions. So uh, I get to help support new leaders. And then it's up to individual organizations at that point to support individual candidates. Oh, beautiful. You're awesome, man. I'm going to hand you off to Miss Audrey. Yes, I want this is Audrey again. I just wanted to ask you from beginning to end, what is the time frame to complete the program? Yeah, that's a great question. So our course typically runs for six months. Uh, we have a current cohort that we uh, just actually um, accepted applications on uh, that will be starting in January. Um, and so it's a six month progress, uh, six month program with folks meeting once a month on a Saturday. Um, and we also offer both virtual and in-person classes to try and provide some flexibility for folks when it comes to attendance. Brother Dana, then how are the participants uh, selected? Yeah, that's a great question. So generally speaking, our primary um, sort of selection criterion is that folks are either union members, current union members, former union members, um, or in more recent years, we've also been expect accepting some non-current union members, but strongly values aligned with our labor priorities and goals. And so folks go through an application process, they submit a application uh, on our website, they do a interview with me, and then depending on whether they're a current union member or not, they might get uh, some face time with our board as well too. And we really are looking for candidates that are really serious about learning the process, being good labor candidates, knowing what it means to be a good labor values candidate. And so, you know, rarely do we ever have to turn folks away in this process. Usually it's mainly off of class size more than just, you know, values. So. Well, is there a standard class size? Yeah, that's an, another great question. We aim to shoot for between eight and 12 folks in a class because we feel like that's really kind of the sweet spot. Any less than eight, it's hard to do some group work, any more than 12, and it's hard to have really good discussion if you get too many folks in the room. So generally we do about eight to 12 per class, whether that's virtual or in person. Is there a cost associated with the program? So there is no cost to attend the Oregon Labor Candidate School, but as a part of the programmatic work that folks are doing, obviously, if you're going to be a candidate, unfortunately, one of the things we know is that you have to be able to raise money. And so part of the program is teaching you how to fundraise. And by doing that, we ask folks to fundraise for the Oregon Labor Candidate School a small amount of money. And the nice thing about that is since it's something that it's fundraising from the class, we get to use that money in other ways that are kind of 
in a way to support the class. And so for that money specifically that folks help fundraise, we use that to provide things like childcare stipends, travel mm -hmm. reimbursements, and other opportunities to try and make our class as accessible as possible. So what is the basic structure of the program? Yeah, so basically the way that it works at Oregon Libre Canyon School is folks uh, attend for the six month cohort. They, like I said, meet one Saturday a month and we bring in trainers from across the state and across disciplines to really talk about the best practices when it comes to being a candidate running for office. You know, but I think one of the things I do want to highlight here is the fact that, that even though we are the Oregon Labor Candidate School, we have a number of folks that end up not running for public office right away, or they end up working in other positions. We have a number of folks that have come through and become, you know, stewards at their union or gone into leadership and executive boards on their union, statewide presidents, current statewide president of SEIU 503, of OSEA, former statewide president of AFT Oregon, all OLCS alumni, former president of Oregon AFSME as well too. So, you know, we are the Oregon Labor Candidate School, but I think that what it means to be a candidate is going to be different for everyone. And so when it comes to the basic structure of our program, we are heavily focused on campaigns. That being said, the tools that we share with folks about how to empower your story, use your narrative to create long lasting positive change, I think can be applied to a variety of situations, let alone mm -hmm. just being a candidate. But is there a suggested time frame of when a candidate should participate prior to running for office? I love this question. So I often get sort of two people that come to me. There are people that are like, hey, I'm thinking about running at some point. I want to get more involved in politics. I want to learn more about the process. I'm not sure when I want to run. You know, is this really, you know, something I should look into? And I always tell them, yes, absolutely. And then you have the other sort of side of it, which are folks that are like, hey, I'm running next month or I'm running right now. And I would love to learn more about running <laughs> for office. And I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage it. I have people in my class right now that are running for office and I, I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't go that route. It just creates some unique challenges. So where I'm going with this is what I tell folks is take the class earlier than you think you're going to need it because you never know when an opportunity will arise. I think I, you know, reference already the reference state representative Travis Nelson, who was able to go into that appointment process and he had taken the OLCS prior to that. You know, I always say that Oregon in politics, especially it's like a game of dominoes, you know, somebody runs another seat opens and if you're not ready in a variety of ways to step up for that you know it could cause challenges so i always tell people take it earlier rather than you know later so that way you have it under your belt and when that opportunity does arise you'll be ready to go thank you hey dan <laughs> hey <Tina. laughs> um who are the trainers or, or instructors that are associated with this program? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are extremely fortunate and lucky to have some of the, the top political and labor staff across the state um, acting as trainers within our program. And so I originally started as a trainer with the Oregon Labor Candidate School, and I had a bunch of campaign experience and had been working for a union for a number of years and really saw this as an opportunity to pass these skills on to folks. So we have trainers that uh, come from both campaign life and most of them have some sort of labor connection. Either they did work for a union or a union related organization at some point, but we really do have some of the top minds in the state when it comes to field and fundraising and communications that have become integral to the quality of the material that we present. So very fortunate to have a extremely talented 
group of trainers that share their experience, expertise, and knowledge on a regular basis. Who are some of the graduates from your program? Well, I've got a graduate from the program on this call right now, as a matter of fact, or excuse me, dun, on this radio dun, pack. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doing great work at the city of Vancouver. I think elected in 2021, mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, as at the the Civil Service Commission. And so, you know, I I don't wanna, you know, name certain ones and leave out a couple of folks. All of my alumni are great and I love them. Um, but just a couple of highlights. We've been very fortunate to have a number of people in the legislature. Currently we have state State Senator Deb Patterson from the Salem area, an amazing healthcare advocate and SEIU 503 member, um, Representative Rob Nose, Oregon Nurses Association, Representative Dacia Graber, rank and file, firefighter, EMT, um, doing a lot of really great stuff in the Oregon legislature, Representative Travis Nelson. We've also had some folks that have left the legislature. So I think, you know, Representative uh, Sherry Scouten, Oregon Nurses Association member, OLCS alumni, Representative Rachel Prusak, another Oregon Nurses Association and alumni of OLCS. But we also have folks all across the state. So whether, you know, we have school board members down in, in Oak Ridge, we have, you know, you know, city councilors in Salem. We have city councilors, you know, in smaller communities as well, too. We used to have a DA as an alumni as well, too, but they recently resigned to go do another job. But we have folks in sort of all levels of government, because what I tell people is no matter what position you run for, no matter what work you're doing, you will find a way to bring your values and your advocacy and into that position. And so whether it's judge, city council, county commissioner, there's an opportunity for us to live our values in almost any work that we do. All right. Do you have to live in Oregon in order to participate? You do not have to live in Oregon. We've had a number of participants that have lived, as I will say, over the bridge, uh, participate <laughs> in our program. And, you know, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I tell folks is that while, you know, we do have folks that come from Washington that do take our course, just recognize that some of the things that we are going to train are going to be specific to Oregon, whether it comes to our campaign finance rules or our election timelines or some of the processes. So we, we definitely accept folks from Washington, um, just just a heads up that things get a little bit different. I think I was the first out-of-stater, actually. <laughs> that that probably tracks for sure. Yeah, I believe so. Yep. <laughs> oh, so how can participants become more involved in your program? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, we, we have kind of two entry ways here at Oregon Labor Canon School. The first one and the most traditional is apply for the program. We accept applications on a revolving basis. Like I said, we just closed our application process for our January cohort, but we will be getting ready for our next cohort. And in addition to that, one of the things that we used to do quite a bit that kind of fell off in the last couple of years that we're looking to get restarted is more one-off sessions. So someone, you know, that's maybe thinking about it or want to learn more about the process, but maybe can't commit to a full six-month class. <clears throat> what other opportunities do they have to show up for maybe a one-day session on, you know, sharing your story or a one-day session on leadership? And so you know, right now, the best way is to apply for the program and to go through the course. But moving forward, we're going to start introducing some additional one-off trainings as well, too. That would be good ways for folks to sort of test the waters. Thank you. I would like to remind our listeners that they are listening to the Coalition of Lactase Unionist segment of Labor Radio, highlighting the works of the working class, by the working class, and for the working class here on KBOO 
90.7 FM, where the heart of the community comes alive seven days a week. All right, Brother Torres, I got another round of questions for you. So the COVID pandemic presented some new challenges for both the voters and the candidates. What are some of those challenges and how are they um, addressed in your program? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's very timely for me as well, too. We have our field training coming up. And one of the articles we have people read about is canvassing in the time of COVID and sort of how that changed a lot of the games for voter outreach and contact. You know, I will say that I think, you know, I will be very clear in stating that we are not over the COVID situation. It still affects number of people in our communities. And I will be thoughtful of that. That being said, I feel like we are at a place right now where canvassing has become much more regular. Last cycle, there was a ton of canvassing that happened. And I think that, you know, some of the ways that the challenge is being more thoughtful about things like, you know, wearing masks when you're at the door, making sure you're not crowding people's space, making sure you're giving people plenty of space, you're not encroaching on them, you know, and then it really gave us an opportunity to really kind of push the envelope in sort of other forms of like digital organizing and other organizing opportunities that were not necessarily the door-to-door door knocking, which I think has been really good for the development of voter outreach. Nice, nice. So most campaigns are fueled by tons of volunteers. What do you think the impact will be during this upcoming election in 2024, given our nationwide political apathy? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, as someone who doesn't necessarily do campaign work hands-on anymore, I say best of luck to all my colleagues. No, I'm just joking. Um, (laughs) But it, it is an important question. And, you know, I think that we've seen volunteer We've seen volunteer rates drop precipitately in my, at least in my political sort of career. And I think that it's fueled by two things is first of all, I think that as campaigns, we need to make sure we're doing what we can to meet volunteers where they're at, giving them opportunities that they feel more comfortable with. And so like, I've always been a big proponent of trying to get folks a volunteer opportunity that really fits within their skill sets. Now, obviously, we know that there are things that just need to be done on campaigns, like knocking doors and making phone calls. And I think that, you know, what's going to end up happening is, I think, as we move forward with new ways to communicate with voters, we're going to see some of those traditional methods, I don't think completely go away, but at least change specifically to how you're doing it. And then, you know, I think that there's other opportunities as well, too. Like, I know that a lot of political parties will have, like, neighborhood leader programs. And so, you know, I know that that's another opportunity where people see a a path towards engaging. So, yeah, I think we definitely are having issues with not only volunteers, but staff in political spaces overall. And, you know, I'm, I'm really opening that people still keep engaging, you know, because I, I, I like to remind folks all the time, you know, Governor Kate Brown, she won her first primary by seven votes. Wow. Seven votes. The entire history, the entire history of Oregon, you know, of wow. Oregon's future could be changed by one volunteership. Right. You know, people wow. go, people go, oh man, I, I knocked for three hours and I only talked to seven people. And I go, you know who really appreciated having seven people talk to? Kate Brown in her first primary. That's crazy. You know, I, I think about, you know, all the opportunities, you know, we, we had, there was a race in Washington County not too many years back where it was literally tied and they had to, I think they rolled a dice or flipped a coin. Wow. Um, and so that doesn't happen very often, but the amount of votes that, the amount of races that come down to 
you know, hundreds of votes is a lot more than people think. And so, you know, volunteers, I hope they not only campaigns are making sure volunteers feel appreciated, but also letting them know that that huge impact of what they do can be not even realized for years down the road. Like when Kate won by, you know, Governor Brown won by seven votes, it, you know, it wasn't until many years later that everyone was like, oh, wow, that was a trajectory right there. So. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And so um, the election year of 2024 is anticipated right now to be a critical election, whereby some voters and probably quite a few may be reticent in casting their votes. Do you prepare your program participants for this likelihood? Yeah, and I I would say that, you know, when it comes to reticent voters and sort of motivating voters, one of the things that we really talk about at Oregon Labor Candidate School is being able to share your story and your narrative in a way that's compelling and really drives people. We we talk a lot about leadership at the Oregon Labor Candidate School and what it means to be a leader and how you demonstrate your leadership. And I think that, you know, part of the inoculation to reticent voters is, first of all, making sure you're communicating about issues and topics that are important to them. And not only that, but doing it in a way that actually rings true to them. Like I can tell you right now, I don't need a poll to tell you that education is important. I don't need a poll to tell me that, you know, uh, business development, the economy is important. Public safety is important. What really resonates with voters is if you can talk about it in ways that are very specific to your community. So what about education? Is it, you know, that school down the street that needs to be remodeled? Is it, you know, some sort of bond levy that's going out? And so, you know, when it comes to being a candidate, I think if you really want to get over any voter apathy and reticency is making sure that your communication is specific to your area that you live in. That includes being connected to your district, which is a huge asset. So, you know, I think that we prepare our folks by teaching them how to take their personal narrative and their stories, connect and share that with voters in a way that is hopefully compelling. Absolutely. And I remember that part of the program and it's really, for me, that made it fun because it was not some made up, you know, kind of stuff. It was what was in my heart and how that connected with, with, you know, the folks I was hopefully going to be able to, you know, speak with and, and get to join me. I'm in the campaign and us um, do some good work together. Yep, that's exactly right. So, Dan, also recently the city of Portland adopted a new candidate selection process. Can you share some of that development with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, as, as folks may have heard, uh, Portland City Council recently, not even Portland City Council, excuse me, the voters, of Portland overwhelmingly passed a charter reform that changed the system of Portland governance in some pretty stark ways. First of all, increased the representation. We're going from a four-person commission to a 12-person commission. The creation of districts, uh, which is unique to Portland. We had been an at-large city before, and what we had seen just empirically in the election is people getting elected from certain areas of Portland with historic upper under representation in areas specifically thinking about like East Portland and some areas of North Portland. And so this new candidate process for the city of Portland, I think is going to have a couple of outcomes, at least I'm hoping a couple of outcomes, which is better diversity, better representation, and then also city councilors that hopefully will work as a team because these are going to be multi-member districts. And so I'm really looking at candidates in the city of Portland and sort of how they work as a composite with each other. 
And so it's going to be exciting. What I can say for sure is that this is going to be all new for a lot of folks when it comes to both the ranked choice voting, the multi-member districts, and the increase of size. And so we're all kind of trying our best to figure out what's going to happen. But at the same time, none of us really have a playbook for this exact situation that's happening in Portland. Right. Okay. And so um, in your opinion, you know, what do you think the overall effect it'll have on the um, on the candidate selection process? I know you just talked about a little bit of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know for a fact that there is going to be huge necessity for educational opportunities to educate voters on the new system, the ranked choice voting, especially in a place like Portland, where they might see a different version of ranked choice voting on the county commissioner level. Even within the city of Portland, when you're talking about the commissioners, since those are multi-member districts, that's going to be a ranked choice form of voting that's different than like the mayor or the auditor, where those are single seat positions. And so the way that even those ranked choice votings within those two positions are going to be different. So my hopes is that and I know that the city of Portland and other groups are working on that voter education right now. My hope is that the overall effect in the candidate process and the election process is that more people will get engaged because they will see more candidates that they like. They'll put more votes down and hopefully they're going to get candidates instead of having this choice of one over the other, they're going to hopefully be able to vote for multiple candidates that meet their values and share their priorities. And so I'm cautiously optimistic for the process it has in Portland, but I know it's going to be an educational opportunity and a lot of folks are going to be working hard to make sure that voters are where they need to be on that. Awesome. Awesome. And so can you please share once again how our listeners can find out more about your program? Yeah, absolutely. So they can find us on our website, which is Oregon Labor Candidate School. Dot com. So that's all one word, Oregon Labor Candidate School. And then we also have a Facebook page and we're on Instagram. And then if you're a union member, talk to your you know, your union staff, most unions in Oregon, actually, I don't say most, but a lot of unions in Oregon are on my board, or they're at least connected with like, say the AFL-CIO, who is also on my board and a member. So check us out on the website, find us on Instagram and Facebook. And then if you're interested, what I also tell folks is that maybe you don't want to apply, but you want to learn more, you can fill out our interest form on our website as well, too. I'll set up a time to meet and we can talk about whether this is the right fit for you. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, Miss Audrey. Yes, uh, Brother Dan, thank you so much for this update on your program. Oh, I'm so excited about that. The Coalition of Black Trade Unions, we meet the second Tuesday every month at 6 p.m. We have suspended our face-to-face -face meetings and are utilizing Google Meets to conduct our monthly meetings. Our next meeting will be held December the 12th, 2023. So keep a lookout on our Facebook page for announcements of programs, events, highlighting Black excellence in our salute of 2024 Black History Month in February 2024. The major focus of our program will highlight healthcare and will feature town hall panels, a face-to-face -face movie night, guest interviews, and a tribute to notable Black leaders 
who paved our road to progress in the labor movement. All right, listeners, our email address is orcbtu10, and that's the number 10.